Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 659. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Tell you what's coming in the show today. We have a cracking bit of fiction by two writers. Strangers When We Meet by Shannon Phillips and Christian Chadwell. That's coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Now, before we get into that, just think back a little bit. Think back. Remember, remember a young, a young keen editor, Starship's Overhead, Mr. Jeremy Saul. Yes, former fiction editor. Well, he just wants to know that his book's still out there and he would love you to go and get it. This I'll give you a little blurb here what Jeremy sent over. Stormblood, the novel by Jeremy Sal. Starship Sova's former fiction editor. It's about alien drugs, asteroid cities, weird space cults, found families, brotherhood, loss and very weird aliens. The sequel, Blind Space, comes out in October. The book is available in all formats, including audio on Audible. Please buy Jeremy's book as he has very expensive gin tastes. Come on, man. Link there in the show. Go and get yourself that book by our young, young former editor there, Jeremy Sal, into the world of writing novels. Jeremy, good luck with your lad. All the best. So, we will get on to the main fiction. Like I say, it is by Shannon Phillips and Christian Chadwell. And the story is Strangers When We Meet. This story is an original to Starship Sova. Sharon Phillips lives in Auckland where she keeps two cats, three boys and a husband. She likes old things, wild places, tall tales and the people who tell them. Her website, and there's a link there to Shannon's website, includes links to her other work. Christian Chadwell lives in North Kentucky with his three sassy cats. Loves the worst in people, the Renaissance, and has never met a deadline. <laughs> That's great. Chris, I love that little tag there, lad. Well done. This story is narrated by Summer Brooks. 
Summer Brooks is a story addict who watches too much television and enjoys putting her encyclopedia geek-free knowledge, geek-fi knowledge to the test in discussions about sci-fi, horror, comics. And she's been doing just that on the Slice of Sci-Fi since 2005 and as co-host, producer and host of the Babylon podcast from 2006 to 2012. Summer is also an avid reader and writer of science fiction and fantasy thrillers with a handful of published credits to her name. Next on the agenda is writing an urban fantasy ag- action adventure and a monster movie extravaganza. She also does narrations for Tales of Terrify, Escape Pod, amongst others. So, the Starship Sova is very proud present. Strangers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When We Meet by Shannon Phillips Humans protest against the dark by immolating every element that will burn. Flame, real flame, that's not allowed on Luna. So instead, it's neon, argon, and krypton that blaze in the signs and advertisements around me and shimmer in the thin film of moisture coating the street. This section of tunnel connects Zhu Kejing with Kerlud, and clearly neither city is putting in the maintenance funds to keep the air circulation above minimal levels. My boots pick up the shine as their magnetic heels clip and release on the pedestrian walkway with each step, sending shivers through the condensation where it's deep enough to puddle. It's always dark here, but there's still light everywhere, from the signs, from the vac train stops, from the people. Tunnel rats. They look at me, in my smooth black security carapace, and they hunch in their shoulders and pull down their hoods. But each and every one of them is draped in all the flashy electronics they can afford to keep powered. 
blazing goggles and earpieces, circuit pattern tattoos that flare with bioluminescent etchings before subsiding back into darkness. Occasionally, the eerie blink of a retinal implant catching the light. These people may act like they don't want to be seen, but they're all signaling their existence as brightly as they can. I brought my own flash, but I'm holding it back for now. I wear the uniform of Cyclone Security Contractors, a black armored carapace and a badge affixed to an armband. I added a smart black capelet that swings from my shoulders, partly as a nod to the French police wear tradition, but mostly because the body armor doesn't have pockets. No, I can't think about what's in the tailored inner lining of the cape right now. That smooth vial of opalescent milk. No. Need to focus. Up ahead, there's another train station. Different from the others in that it's not brilliant with billboards. The train company decommissioned this stop, and nobody's been around recently to clear out the tunnel rats. They've pried open the outer doors and made themselves a little nest inside, without considering the hazards they're introducing by doing so. They think I'm a fascist enforcer, a tool of the corpse. They don't see the big picture. When local owners close off areas of the system, they adjust the environmental controls accordingly. These little off-the-grid warrens strain the circulation, filtration, and power systems for entire cities. They put us all at risk. I stride right up to the station and stop. Suddenly enough that the capelet of my uniform swirls off my shoulders. The police badge on my armband catches the neon and returns a dazzle of light. I let the black, blank faceplate of my helmet scan from side to side, registering the heat signatures inside. About two dozen, mostly lying down, in pairs. They're doing good business tonight here in whatever squalid little hookup parlor they've got going. They're not going to be happy that I'm here. Before I put on the security carapace, I used to pause like this for the flash of cameras, head tilted, showing off the fabulous sweep of my short dark hair, the elegant line of my neck. A smile, sharp as my stiletto heels, aimed down at the viewer. But I'm not smiling now. It's quite a fall from the sparkling lunar towers where the fashion shows are held to the dark, dripping, mildew-ranked tunnels. From the stars to the muddy moon rock, these tunnel rats will never see my face. I go in just a shade hot, engaging the stored power in my augments to move a little faster than a human should. In the carapace, I'm a slim, black-armored silhouette, with only the badge and the lights on my helmet to pick me out as I blur through the shadows, capelets swirling around my shoulders. The heels of my boots wrap a sharp staccato in the metal riveted floor. I've always been good at making an entrance. I amplify my voice, too, announcing in an imperious tone, Jessamine Swift, Cyclone Security. I'm a contracted enforcer of the law investigating the disappearance of a minor. I expect your full cooperation. 
Inside, a couple of startled faces stare back at me. They're the only ones awake. Everyone else here is lying down on cots with wires snaking around them on the floor. Most of the cots are twinned together, pairs of people curled loosely on their sides to face each other, like sloppy parentheses. The derelict station is lit only by self-powered lanterns that the tunnel rats brought in, scattered haphazardly so that the light falls at strange angles across the insensate people. They're doing direct hookups, which is exactly as seedy and dangerous as it sounds, but also about the only way to get a truly private network. Those people on the cots, they're creating dream worlds together, partying in some kind of virtual phantasmagoria that's built from the desires and imaginations of everyone linked up in this room. The two-by-two arrangements is one I haven't seen before, though. I guess even tunnel rack tech keeps evolving. There's also a lone drone of music playing, and my helmet is registering some kind of impurity in the air. Incense? Totally prohibited. If everybody pumped whatever they felt like into the air supply, we'd have citizens popping off from anaphylaxis every damn week. It ain't copyright infringement, one of the rats says defensively. We ain't doing anything illegal. I let the lie hang in the fouled air, giving her only the shining black of the faceplate while I study her. She's young. Could be pretty if she knew how to clean and dress herself. But everything she's chosen to wear is almost aggressively tatty. And she has one of those circuit-patterned bioluminescent tattoos. I make sure the helmet feed gets a clear view of that. It seems to be a new thing down here, and someone might be interested. She's also not the kid I'm looking for. So after a moment, I relent. You're breaking the TOS of five separate contracts that I can see from here, kiddo. The endearment is delivered in a tone like ice. But if you can tell me anything about Verona Kwan, I'll let you off with a warning. Both tunnel rats tense as I punch a code into my gauntlet. Then relax again as Verona's headshot is suddenly projected into the air between us. She's 16 years old, and she ran away from home two nights ago. She's the reason I'm down here on the clock. It goes without saying that she's very pretty. Her parents are rich enough to hire me, so they're rich enough to afford top-notch gene therapy but money isn't a guarantee of taste. Verona ended up with a blandly pretty doll face that she's done her best to individualize. Her hair is a vivid ombre of blues and purples. Black, upswept eyes accentuated with iridescent shadow and liner. A dark mole painted in over her pouting rosebud mouth. The most interesting thing about her in the second long clip is the way she's looking out of frame, sidelong. She wants to smile, but there's a wariness about her. Never seen her before, the second rat says immediately. I think they're a boy, but they might be something else. They've got a fey and androgynous look that I quite like, actually. They're also lying through their decaying teeth. Both the tunnel rats looked at each other the second I pulled out Verona's headshot, a quick furtive glance that told me everything. 
The trains might not stop at this station anymore, but I'm on the right track. I let the image fade away and begin to pace the room, stepping over the cabling. My boots clack, clack, clack as I stride slowly between the cots. So, what have we got here, then? Fire hazard? Trespassing? Atmospheric degradation? Delightful! The rats are smart enough to stay still while I patrol the squalid little niche, making sure the helmet feeds catch an image of everyone's faces. IDs flicker into my peripheral vision before I blink them away. I don't care about any of these assholes. I'm just putting pressure on the rats whose tense eyes track my every move. It ain't infringement, the girl says again, pronouncing the last word very carefully, like it's magic. I'm not here about the copyright, I tell her, still walking with a slow, regal gait between the cots. Clack, clack, clack. Kidnapping, kiddo. Now why would rich little Verona come to a dump like this? She can afford all the good dreams she wants. Social ones, individual ones, persistent ones, corp-branded ones. The people on the upper levels use entertainment media like they do anything and everyone else to define themselves, to show where they rank in the pecking order. If you're at the top... You make the feeds that others buy. The factory drones will fork over a bit of their grubby pay for the opportunity to live your life just for a day. They paid to live mine a few years ago, trying on my skin while I was clawing to get out of it. Maybe I know why Verona would have come to a place like this after all. The second rat snorts, ignoring the stiffening posture and wide, scared eyes of their smarter friend. Package dreams, pre-made. Maybe your friend there didn't want another rom-com or gladiator sim. Maybe she wanted to tell her story to people who would listen. And maybe she didn't want her parents seeing it, hmm? This time they don't answer. But it's the only thing a squalid little flop site like this can offer. These people come here, link up with strangers and share everything about themselves for a few hours. Inside that dream they've built, they'll dance, they'll fight, they'll make love. And when they wake, they'll go their separate ways with nothing but the memory to link them. The data goes from brain to brain. It's not stored on anyone's servers. It never makes it into corporate databanks. Janky and jury-rigged as their tech is, these kids are selling something it's hard to get on Luna. A private connection. I turn a corner in the warren of cots and find the place where the cables meet. An unassuming black box, about the size of a brick. This is what they're using to filter the feeds, keep people from getting their brains overwritten with the raw output of another person's mind. I stand over it, letting the helmet get a good scan. That's our property, the brave rat says, though the smart one tries to hush them. I make an ambivalent noise that comes out as a mechanical hum. What's the term you tunnel rats like to use for when a setup like this goes wrong? You know, 
when the clients end up all drooly and mumbly and prone to pissing themselves, but they can still finish each other's sentences? There's a sullen silence from the rats. Human soup? I prod. Something charming like that? Mind melt, the girl says, soft and grudging. It's as good as a confession. I clench the machines that are my fingers, letting energy crackle between my knuckles. The rats understand what I'm about to do a second before I'm in motion. But I don't give them time to protest. Most falling things drift gently on Luna. I go down fast. Electricity flashes around my cybernetic arm, all the way up to my elbow. I drop down to one knee, and my fist crashes through their tech. The rat's eyes are still widening in shock. They're drawing a breath to protest as the electricity I release washes outward. For a moment, it's bright, a burst of power and light snaking in all directions from where my fist has crumpled the floor. The girl starts to scream. She's drowned out by the protests of her clients, rudely awakened from their shared dream. The black box is unharmed. I didn't strike it. I hit the cables that fed into it, crushing them and severing the connections. The electricity was just to make sure I really screwed with these dangerously stupid trash pickers. How many brains have they already reduced to gray water? I rise slowly enough for their eyes to follow and return to my earlier unhurried clack, clack, clack as I stroll back towards the tunnel rats. The brave one looks for a moment as if they're going to step into my path and then suddenly breaks for the door, running madly. I let them go and grab the cringing girl, dragging her close enough to the smooth black faceplate of my helmet that she can see her own terrified face reflected there. I kick the volume up a notch, too. Where is Verona Kwan? Behind me, people are beginning to stagger up from their cots, their shouts of alarm and confusion turning into outrage. I ignore them and give the girl a shake, albeit a careful one. I want to focus her attention, not snap her neck. I don't know her. I don't know. She's gulping for breath between words, eyes screwed closed, trying not to cry. But but that girl in the vid, she did drop by. She she had a boyfriend with her. Jinto! Her eyes fly open and fix on her own reflection in the faceplate, staring pleadingly. She called him Jinto. I let her go and take a smooth step back. Thank you for your cooperation, citizen. Please consider Cyclone for all your security needs. Then I turn on my heel as smartly as if it was the end of the catwalk and leave the tunnel rats cursing in the darkness while I head back out toward the lights. She starts up as soon as I leave, the voice in my ear. Whiskey warm, scratchy, and human. It makes me smile, even though technically she's chewing me out. This isn't going to help our metrics, Swift. Ten to one, those kids file a complaint. 
She at least sounds wearily amused rather than really upset or disappointed. So I hope she hears the smile in my voice as I protest. Are you kidding me? We should get a bonus. I just shut down a dangerous and illegal dream parlor and I got you a lead on the runaway. I let a teasing note creep into my tone. You are doing your job while you're complimenting me on mine, right? Jinto, yeah. I'm cross-referencing on all Verona's contacts before she disabled her tracker. At least you didn't punch anyone. I don't kill citizens unless they try to kill me first. How's everything back in HQ? That cushion you're sitting on nice and comfy, dear? Fuck you, Swift. But there's no venom in her tone at all. Only that same tired fondness. Now let's not be uncivilized. At least let me take you to lunch first. I've been making passes at Ayla Pilgrim, thinly veiled as jokes, ever since we were paired up together. You won't be able to afford it once they dock your pay for excessive use of force. Swift, you've got to be more careful. Not everybody in the outfit is on your side, and they can use this kind of thing to smear you. Are they still calling me model cop? The silence in my ear tells me everything I need to know. I tell myself it doesn't bother me. Models know how to endure pain. Models know how to use their bodies as a tool. They're just jealous, Pilgrim finally says. They know you're the most exciting field agent to monitor. Don't forget, I'm also the prettiest. You're also the prettiest. But before I can be properly pleased, she ruins it. I found Gento and I'm sending you to his location. A positional marker appears on my HUD, and I groan. It's another shitty neighborhood three stops away on the VAC train. This rich brat's slum tour? I'm kinda over it. You should take the milk before you go. The half-smile I had while bantering with Pilgrim dies on my lips, and suddenly all I can think about is that vial tucked into the lining of my cape. The milk. It's a performance enhancement. It's addictive as hell. They gave me something like it in my catwalk days, and I got hooked on it. Needed more and more until eventually I was doing crazy shit to myself just to get it. But the really good stuff is reserved for security forces. Models know how to endure pain. Models know how to use their bodies as a tool. Models are creative and resourceful, and when they don't get what they want, they replace half their internal organs and some of their limbs in order to become a super soldier and get back on the milk. That last bit maybe doesn't apply to all models. Pilgrim has access to all the readouts from my augments and monitors. She knows that I've been stretching my time between doses, trying to scale back my intake. She knows that the vial in my cape is yesterday's dose. But she didn't say anything until now, 
which must mean she's seeing something in my feeds. Which means that she's right. I need to take it. And what I hate most about her being right is the relief that sweeps through me, the anticipation. I can stop now, stop the effort of resisting the cravings. The surrender is going to be so sweet. I wait until I'm on the train, find a section that's mostly empty. People studiously look away from me, from the badge and the body armor. I angle my body towards a corner and pull the vial from my cape, hold it carefully while unscrewing one of my fingertips. It's a delicate maneuver, but I've had practice. There's an induction port on the end of the first knuckle. The vial fits perfectly. It's as good as I knew it would be. At least my soft gasp of pleasure and relief is hidden under the helmet. The milk flows through all my limbs in a warm surge, erasing the aching where the augments meet flesh, leaving me sharp and focused and full of righteous fire. Pilgrim doesn't talk to me again for the duration of the trip. The second place is a lot like the first, a seedy hole-in-the-wall dream parlor in the underground levels. Little mom-and-pop businesses crowded together with all the neon they can afford. There's a pawn shop, a laundromat, and between them a short flight of steps going down to a forbidding metal grate. The dream parlor is shuttered. This place is closed, I say, behind the helmet. Only Pilgrim will catch my words. Where's Jinto now? He's there, or his tracker is. I look again at the grate, then walk down the steps, each step neatly placed. I crouch down and hook my fingers beneath the metal caging. There's a screech of metal as I rise again, forcing the grate to lift with me. It crumples on itself like a discarded negligee. A drone floating by stops to look, attracted by the noise. But I twitch my shoulder to set the cape swinging, and it moves on as soon as it sees my badge. Behind the grate, there's just an ordinary plastic door. I punch it in and step over its dented and skewed remains. Immediately, my HUD pops up a warning. There's something much worse than incense polluting the air in here. Waste and decay, foul, sharp, rotting and rich. Fortunately, my helmet is filtering the worst of it. Fuck, you catching this? I see it. The twin beams of my headlamp sweep over the grisly scene. This is what mind melt looks like. This parlor was set up with bunks instead of cots, recessed niches in the wall where people are lying two by two. Some of them are already dead. All of them are lying in stagnant pools of their own diarrhea. There are flies droning everywhere and the walls look stripped, like there used to be hardware mounted there, but it's been hastily ripped down. Whoever was running the damn place knew they'd be in trouble when it was found, so they just grabbed their shit and left. Left these people lying here, still wired up to each other. 
I catch a flash of purple and curse softly, activating a pulse of electricity as I step closer to zap the flies dead around me. Their shrivel raisin bodies patter to the floor, and I see that, yeah, it's Verona's hair. She's on a top bunk, and she's the close parenthesis in the set, her back to me and her arms wrapped around the young man who must be her lover. He's dead. That much is obvious. His eyes are wide and bulging, and there's a crust at the corner of his slackly open mouth that I'm suddenly and irrationally convinced must be insect eggs. Swift, she's alive. Pilgrim's voice in my ear jerks me back from the horror and refocuses my attention on the girl I'm getting paid to find. I roll her onto her back. Her eyes are open too, but they don't focus, just blink dreamily. Love you, she murmurs. Love. She's absolutely smeared in filth. She's still hooked up. A few of the others are still alive, too. If I went in, do you think I could dissolve the link? No. No, absolutely not. The deep whiskey warmth of her voice is channeling titanium now. But I've had Ayla Pilgrim as my partner for six months now, and I catch her moment of hesitation. No, I couldn't do it? Or no, I shouldn't go in? Don't you dare. Don't you dare, Jesse. Love you. Verona slurs and smiles up at me, her eyes wide and bright and guileless, and I'm angry. I'm so angry at what they've done to her, the tunnel rats, the rich parents, and the boyfriend who held her and failed her. I'm angry about what happened to her. I'm angry about what happened to me. I'm tired of playing the bad guy. I'm tired of wanting what I can't have. I'm lifting my hands to my neck, breaking the seal on the helmet, and oh, fuck! The smell is enough that I immediately start to dry heave, and taking off the helmet isn't even enough to silence Pilgrim, who just naturally switches over to yelling at me through my oral implant. So fired for this, and you'll drag me down with you. God damn it, do you want them to be right when they call you a crazy bitch? I mute her to oblivion. I get myself under control and drag my fingers through my short, sweat-dampened hair, arranging the locks into a carefully tousled sweep. Gotta leave a beautiful corpse. And I don't think about what I'm doing while I unplug the dead boyfriend. Definitely don't look into the corner of his mouth. Sit myself down on the floor instead, because at least it's cleaner than those hellish bunks. And, with a shudder of revulsion, drive the jack into the discreet port at the base of my own neck. Their dream has started to collapse in on itself. Understandable, considering half the people who made it are ghosts now, contributing nothing but the data their implants drew from to build the world. I understand that it was beautiful once, though. Some kind of Atlantis submerged world theme with coral explosions branching out fractally, seaweed spirals that fade into nautilus shells and logarithmic spirals, the golden ratio, pi, 
oil on water. It's nothing but sense data that dissolves as soon as I try to get any sort of physical bearings. I'm drowning. I'm drowning. They are pulling me under. They're all here, all of them. I was wrong about that. Whirlpools froth on the water. The tide crashes and lands and releases a nautilus shell, and Verona smiles as she picks it up. But it's not just Verona, it's all of them. The wind picks up the sand. A cyclone obscures Verona. When it passes, she is someone else. They are one. They have become one. Love, they tell me. It is all love. Even the dead ones have left enough behind that their presences are part of the whole. They are sad for me because I am not loved. They want to embrace me, to see me, and know me, and make me part of their unity. The seaweed moves underwater in its own cyclone. My wrists and ankles are caught. They are pulling me under. You made Atlantis, I croak. Whether here or in the real world, who can tell? It doesn't matter. I brought the storm. I visualized very clearly the triggers that would set off a strong electrical pulse, and I'm about to execute when they catch my intention and bind tighter, dragging and fraying at my thoughts. Seaweed softly lapping at my cheeks and whispering, There will be no pain. You will be loved. You will be known, and you will be loved. I manage at least this much, a thought that is all my own and licks out like lightning. I do not want to be known. Certainly I'm dramatic, and I'm always seizing attention, but that's on my terms. It's an act, fundamentally. A performance designed to distract people from seeing the real me the gross, all-too-human girl with knobby elbows and rash-prone skin whose teardrops stream straight into her ears when she lies on her back in bed, crying. My true self is something repulsive. I would die rather than allow them or anyone to see it. They are seeing it now. Tide pools, life that blooms in salt and sun, cycles and shells. They want me out of my shell. That hideous self will be gone, they remind me. There will be nothing left of Jessamine Swift, fabulous disaster, her factory-reconditioned body, and her shattered, striving heart. There will only be a cosmic unity, forever. They want it so badly. They are struggling like crustaceans, crawling out of their skins and into annihilating bliss. I know why they want it. I want it, too. To be loved so badly. I tremble on the precipice of dissolving. I will stay in my carapace, I whisper. Without it, I am gelatinous, viscous, and quivering. I am not ready to leave. Before they can talk about love anymore, I whisper again, but this time with the voice of the lightning. And then we are all falling, falling into the depths alone.
Jesse, damn it, if you wake up right now, I'll let you buy me that dinner. <laughs> dinner? I cough weakly. Who's got the notes for dinner? I was thinking a sack lunch in a park. Oh my God, oh my God. I've never heard Pilgrim so distraught. It's unprofessional for a monitor. She'll get written up. I almost lost you. I hate you. You took out the power grid for half a block. Oh my God, I hate you so much. She doesn't. My head is throbbing. My mouth is dry. I think I might have just saved the day through the sheer power of my vanity and insecurity. And if I'm sure of one thing on this godforsaken moon, it's that Ayla Pilgrim doesn't hate me. All right, all right, I sigh. I admit it. The sack would have just had a bottle of wine and nothing else. And I probably would have drunk most of it myself. Um, officer? That's not Pilgrim. I push myself up from the floor, craning my aching neck around as an afterthought. I pull out the jack while I take a moment to register the fact that Verona is sitting up in her bunk, blinking at me. Yeah, I cough, running a hand through my hair to check that it's all right. Miss Kwan? I'm Jessamine Swift with Cyclone Security. You're safe now. Do you understand? She blinks slowly. There's something that's kind of breaking my heart a little, and I don't realize what it is until I think of her headshot. I'm already putting the pieces together when she says, I don't know. She looks down at me from her bunk, guileless and naive. I don't remember. She looks around then, a small line forming between her perfect doll's eyebrows. I don't remember anything, she says. That's not the Verona in the headshot. That girl might have been sheltered, but she'd seen something. Something that taught her to be wary of people who wanted to film her. She'd had some kind of hard lesson that she carried with her. One that looked out from behind her eyes the same way it looked out from a lot of my model friends in unguarded moments. It was a true lesson, one from pain, and now she's lost it. Now she lifts her hands, smeared with the mingled excretions of herself and her lover, and stares down at the filth for a moment before recoiling from it. She pushes her palms away, looks to either side in quick distress, and then back to me, Eyes wide open, pleading, I don't remember anything. Yeah, I say. It'll be all right, kid. Everything will be all right. I'll take you back to your parents and they'll take care of you. I hold my hand out, and at the gesture she trustingly slips out of the bunk, allowing Luna gravity to cradle her lightly as she drops to the floor. My priority is to secure the target, 
Aiding the other survivors and handling the dead will require separate contracts, so I let Pilgrim negotiate all of that while I'm shepherding Verona back up where she belongs. She's compliant, mostly. There's only one moment, as I'm guiding her out of there, that she stops and tries to look back. I see her eyes fixing on the bunk she left, on the dead boyfriend who's still grinning horribly there. I don't know him, she says tentatively. Nah, kid, I tell her. He was just dragging you down. And there you go. Huge, huge thank you to Shannon Phillips and Christian Chadwell. Thank you so much. Lovely to have an original on Starship Sofa as well. And Summer, thank you so much. Lovely to have you back, lass. Thank you indeed. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 